Ah. Welcome, everybody, to the After Later podcast. I'm your host, John Wesling. Thank you very much for coming out and or coming out or wherever you're at. Thank you for pressing the button that allowed this to play in your ears, would be my guess. Um, you know, a happy Wednesday to everybody. If it's not happy, make it happy, right? It's a beautiful day outside. Nature healing without us pretty quickly, too. Isn't that amazing? I was just talking about that. It's April, obviously, for everybody. But here in Houston, Texas, normally it's a muggy, a lot of rain, a lot of flooding, and it is 54 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Absolutely beautiful outside. Did not take long for weather to change when we stop running like fucking idiots. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, here we are. It's a, a regular day now in this new regular reality. Uh, my, my wife's sitting at the table. She's watching Mr. Mom and taking notes for her uh, movie podcast. Uh, parental misguided with uh, Beck and Sarah. She does with our friend uh, Becky Reed. So she's writing, taking notes for her podcast. Of course, that podcast is available right here on Anchor. <laughs> Cha-ching! Cross promotion. What you're supposed to do here in the world of podcasting. But she's not alone. She's uh, sitting there with, uh, with my number two daughter. She's a fourth grader. So she's helping her with her homework and she's sitting there working on some math assignments. My younger two, my first grader and my four-year-old, are just uh, running around being uh, crazy people. So now we've got them uh, doing some little art projects or working on something. And and my oldest, my teenager, my seventh grader, uh, has yet to wake up. Just so you know, local current time as I record this, it is 11.32 a.m. She has not woken up yet. I tell you, usually right if she stays in bed past noon, I'll go in there and open her door. And But I'm still lighthearted about it. Like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? It's afternoon. Get up. Ha ha ha. But she reacts like I'm raising ungodly hell. Like I'm just storming in there and disrespecting and waking her up. Right. Of course, she's a teenager. Everything I do is a disrespect. I understand that. But I just laugh because if she, you know, her loving grandpa, who she knows is as her grandpa, if she'd have had him as a dad, the way he used to wake me up when I was a kid at unfucking realistically early hours in the morning. And suddenly, my dad never did the come in in the dark and put the hand on your leg and, hey, hey, buddy, hey, wake up, wake up. Oh, no. No, no, there was never any of that. No, it was flick. Let's just turn the light on. That was his move. And he had like a real, like this big mason's ring on. So every time he would, he would bang, he would smack the wall where he was going to hit the light switch. It was like a smack and the light would come on. And this is like 80s lights. It's not like the, 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 the modern light switch that comes on without nary a whisper. No, it was the flink. They had that ah, that pop to it. Like, like that's where the breaker was. Just, bah, light would come on. Now, I was expected to jump out of bed immediately. To just, boom, pop up with with uh, full metal jacket vigor, baby. Just up and at them, whoop ass, take names. And if I didn't respond that way, then that that basically set him off in a bad attitude for me being a lazy ass for the rest of the day, which he had planned for me. And we're talking, this is from the age of about seven to about the age of 14 was the same, (laughs) same procedure. Now, if he flicked the light on and I didn't pop up immediately, like I happened to be sleeping with my pillow over my head, or I heard him come down the stair or come down the hallway and I had already put the pillow over my face. uh, Then the next time he would come in would would rapidly flick it. So pick, 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 and then the light on. And then it would, the vulgarity would begin. It'd get the fuck up. God damn it. Get moving. Truck's leaving in 10 minutes. Of course, I'm, it doesn't sound like a threat, right? Like, well, all right, well, deuces, catch you later. But I was going to be in that truck leaving in 10 minutes, whether I got up and got dressed on my own or if he just grabbed me in my damn underwear and made me sit there. So up and at him, get moving. But my daughter, she's soft. She's soft as, she's soft as hot taffy, this one. All of a sudden, I'm the jerk because I open the door and go, hello, hey, time to get up, come downstairs, eat some tacos I made. You know, she didn't care about that. I'm the asshole all of a sudden. <laughs> you can hear the, the kids going nuts in the background. That's that's the, that's the constant life now. There is no privacy. There's no uh, mommy, daddy time. No, it's all kids in our face from from uh, getting out of bed to going to sleep. You know, but that's 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 life now. That's life. Adjust, roll with it. You know, 10 years from now, when this is all distant memory, there'll be the stuff you remember. Is that time you get to spend with the family, right? Right? No, I'm seriously, I'm asking, right? Because that's the fucking pre-propaganda or the self-propaganda I'm giving myself to get through it. 
try not to. I'm, I keep telling myself how memorable a time this is going to be to my kids growing up because it, it just reminds me that they're recording right now. This is hot in memory bank. This is going to be that shit they look back at. So if they're looking back and they remember me being a panicky asshole, well, then I didn't do my job. So live like a duck. That's what my dad always said. Look like a duck, right? Because above water, the duck is nice and calm, cool, collected, smooth. But underneath that water, those little duck feet are just whipping and a thrashing, kicking, frothing. But above the water, smooth. Under the water, freaking out. So do that. <laughs> do that for yourself, for your family. You know, that's the that's the American work hard ethos, right? Hey, just uh, just swallow, swallow all that uh, pain and aggression and stress, and and display out towards others a peaceful. Um, happy demeanor. Speaking of, uh, my daughter, Bebe has just walked up. Come here, Bebe. Come here. Come here, Beezer. Hey, good morning, sweet girl. How are you today? Good. Yes? You're on the podcast with me. I'm about to um, throw it to the interview I just did with my friend, uh, but I thought I'd check in with you. How are you doing? Good. Do you have any schoolwork that you need to do today? Yes. Can you answer in more than just one word or one syllable? I have a test that my teacher gave me. I just I was supposed to do it on Monday, but I didn't do it. You didn't do it on Monday? I didn't. Oh, is that my fault? Did I let that ball drop? Is that daddy's fault? By the way, you have to shave your head today. I have to shave my head today. Gotta shave it. She wants me to shave my head. All right, we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Well, hey, hey B, can you read that guy's name right there that I'm pointing at? Gary Wayne. But you can read that, yes? Yes. All right. So I want you to introduce this uh, interview that I did with a, a friend of mine. He's a, a very interesting and unique individual with a interesting perspective on life. So mm-hmm. when I point to you, I want you to say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome and then say his name. Okay. okay. Can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's try it. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome Jerry Wayne Losemeyer. What? Losemeyer. Is that how, is that what that looks like to you? No, hold on. Let me, let me, we're going to do that again. Okay. This is his last name. I'm going to write it in real big letters so that you can say it. I'm not going to correct you. I want you to just read that again. So it's those two names and then that's his last name. Okay. Ready? So remember, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. And then his name. Let's try it again. Ready? One more time. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Jerry Wayne Longmire. Close enough. I now introduce unto you, fine people, Jerry Wayne Longmire. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going well, brother. And now, hold on. Is your professional name Jerry Wayne? And you're not using the Longmire? Because I, I don't want to, you know. You know, honestly, man. business I, I, on the streets. Honestly, I kind of go back and forth on it. Longmire is just kind of a mouthful, you know. And I'm a junior, so I don't, I don't like to embarrass old man too much. So oh, I, mean, I feel your pain. I'm also a a Westling, yeah, a junior. Yeah, <laughs> you know how it is, man. Like it all seemed like a good idea cool, until they had to buy. I think you sh- huh? Uh, I stepped all over what you That's were saying right. there, Jerry. I'm sorry. That's the hard part of podcasting like this. Is sometimes even when you can see each other, even when it's the video kind, you still wind up stepping on each other, you know. And then you the hold on, wait, no, you go ahead, no, yeah. you do it. <laughs> uh think about how many good jokes some absolute pearls have just been completely stepped on by someone else in the zoom going hello can y'all hear me yeah yeah you know what absolutely I mean? <laughs> oh, i've seen it on like news channels news channel when you now everyone's bringing in guests and whatever from home and just the smooth timing of it has fallen apart and sometimes it's just all you can do is just hang your head go <sighs> and then start over just reset oh uh, that's not even so the other night i did kuagente's show at eight o'clock, which was video chat show. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, my equipment was malfunctioning. So I had about a five second delay and I was only hearing about every third word that they, that him or Charles justice said. And so if you go back and watch it, I just look like a drunk person on drugs because <laughs> cool ask a question and then i'll talk about some stuff and then five seconds later i come in and ramble for 10 minutes about the wrong question <laughs> maybe that's the next uh, show idea we need to put together because everyone's throwing stuff against the wall right now to see what sticks right with all the different uh, web streams and shows and podcasts and stuff like this that uh, we ought to just oh, have God. one that's based on bad signal 
Oh, the hopefulness of the guys doing the virtual open mics right now is the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like uh, maybe this, no. maybe this was the problem. Maybe just, they didn't want to go anywhere. Maybe they'll do it if they're no. <laughs> yeah. The, it turns out the antidote for uh, bad crowds is no crowds. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's stuff. Well, uh, ladies don't uh, introducing the, the great Jerry Wayne, uh, May or may not use Longmire. We'll just go uh, Jerry Wayne, Longmire, TBD. Yeah. Uh, comic out of Houston, Texas. You got an interesting story, man. One of the things I like about you, dude, is that you are um, you are a great example of a second bite at the apple. You know what I mean? You're someone who went away and came back. And yeah. you, have a, you have a completely, like, revigor- reinvigorated kind of uh, uh, zeal for comedy that's been a real treat to get to hang out with the last couple of times I run into you. Thank you. I am trying to, uh, my, my first go round, it was such a, a strange breakaway from everything I'd ever done in my life. I, I was raised pretty conservative, Pentecostal, uh, in the church, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, I went to work in the oil field like a good little Texan should and did all the right jobs, machine shops and stuff. And, uh, when I started doing comedy and I, I got immersed in the comedy scene in Houston in the uh, early 2000s, it was just such a, I, I met people I'd never, you know, I was exposed to a lot of things. And uh, and, and he had a little bit of a, uh, a, a power ride, too. I mean, you wound up uh, pretty quickly being kind of involved in the management and running of a club. Yeah, it was a crazy deal. Um, I came in, I, I saw uh, your friend, Ralphie. I saw him perform live for a New Year's Eve show. And like any other dork, I had been reading Sam Kennison's Brother Sam book. And I really wanted to try stand-up in Houston. And so I went up to him after the show and, of course, you know, pulled the old, oh, I won't be a comic. I'm not going to do that. And uh, I bought a DVD from him, and he was mm-hmm. telling me about Monday nights at the Laugh Stop. And he signed it, show up Monday and don't be a pussy. <laughs> and that was, and that, was uh, that was my first Monday night at Open Mic. I came up, it was February 10th, 2004. And I came up, I did Open Mic. And uh, it was very short. I did it maybe about a month or two in a row on Mondays. And uh, was getting some laughs. I wouldn't say steady laughs or anything like that. But um, that was around the time Houston's Funniest Person was starting. And I mm-hmm. joined the contest not knowing any better. And fucked around and got second place in the contest that first year of month in. And, um, you know, the owner of the club at the time, Pete, took a liking to me and knew I needed to make some money because I just quit my job. And so I ended up doing, I've always known how to work with my hands and do that kind of stuff. So I ended up working on the club a lot, doing a lot of construction work on the club. And stuff, You're a lot you of the jack of all trades kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You can unload a truck, you can fix some sheetrock. You can stock beer, you know. All that. Yeah. Hey, you know. I, every comic I know, pretty much, uh, with very few exceptions, at some point in their uh, beginning days of comedy, have worked at a club in some capacity, selling tickets. Uh, oh yeah. Waiting tables, you know, pouring drinks, everything. That's what a I, lot that's of what I thought I had it though. made. Well, what's the uh, what's the, the the phone room upstairs? Back in the day, it's not so much now because everything's online, but they used to have the telemarketing room. Oh, yeah. at the club just you know six eight phones people just hammering away giving out free tickets trying to fill up crowds and uh yes yeah, so every comic's got that intimate uh understanding of the inner workings of a comedy club oh yeah man and that, that's when i really thought i made it when i got my first bartending job at the comedy club <laughs> i was like oh shit well this is like this is just like sam Kenson's story he was a doorman at the comedy store i just gotta work my way up from here you know how we have the, the headshots up on the wall at the comedy club for the comics that have come through and performed there and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right? The, the sort of wall of fame. They kind of have the same thing, but behind the bar at a comedy club, like, oh, here's the comics who actually t- you know, worked in the same well as you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Because a lot yeah. of times, I tell you, you, you see stories where th- those are more uh, successful than the, than the comics on the stage. I mean, there's, um, uh, I think, Pam Stone. Uh, she was dating a comic. And uh, she was waiting tables at a comedy club. I can't, I'm going to butcher the story, but there's a story. You know, look it up for those who are listening. You know, Pam Stone. And, and she, I think, I can't remember if it was a breakup or just one of those, well, I bet you, could, you think you could do better? You go up there. And she did and did better, and it kind of launched her career. Holy hell. Yeah, trippy, huh? Yeah. Well, now here's, the, here's what I think 
where your story kind of gets interesting, man, because I see this happen to comics and friends all the time. Is at some point you you pulled the you pulled the the cord and got the hell out of Houston and got the hell out of the business, right? Like you you went off. Yeah, I. Uh, How many years was it until you guys moved back into Houston and you got back on stage again? Well, I we had moved out of Houston as you know as we started having kids and stuff. We were uh-huh. doing the cracker flight, running away from the the hood and uh yeah that's right once you start reproducing yeah you, yeah, you start like, running away in the wilderness and, yeah. and, and, and that's a trick i think somebody tricked me into that a long time ago this whole you know you gotta have a house you gotta have a yard you gotta have two cars you gotta have this shit <laughs> yeah. and and mowing that yard feels great that first time you do it but then the next week some bitch grows again you're like God, i don't want to do this again felt good last week you know <laughs> and I, I thought i was i thought i wanted all that shit you know and i i didn't but we we started moving out there and i started performing less and less um honestly and uh I was doing a few, I was still doing road shows, but you know, the club had closed down in Houston and, um, I, my first go around a comedy, I was just, I was kind of an asshole and I didn't make a whole lot of friends. I made some friends, but, um, yeah. I, I rubbed a lot and of believe people me, the brother, wrong way. <laughs> I, 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 uh, sympathize with you because shit, man, I've been doing this for a living since I was 21 years old and, you know, there's a good decade or so where I think I was a bit of a raging, you know, asshole too. Just, you know, when you're in your early twenties doing what we do, it kind of signs a bring. So there's a wake of people who who dislike me from who I was. It's it's an ego trip. Me, you, know? you convince yourself when you when you get on that stage, and uh, you you can control that crowd like you know a lot of us can, and uh, it becomes an ego trip. You you become can you become sort of wrapped up in this idea that I've got this ability and you don't stop. I, I didn't stop in my twenties and really look at how lucky I was. I was in one of the hottest a rooms in the city, in the, in the country. And yeah. I was getting God bless it stage time with every comic that came through there. I got to work with so many big names and so many, Mm-hmm. So many talented comics that nobody's ever even heard of that I got to become friends with and spend weeks working with. And I didn't realize how lucky I was. I was taking it all for granted. But long story short, I, did, I didn't handle myself well. I had a little, you know, I had a little beef with drugs and was going off the rails <laughs> a little bit. And uh, go, Yeah, the drugs is undefeated, player. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah. Dr- they, drugs, drugs will find a way. They, they win. And... Uh, so we started moving out and was trying to kind of just change my life. But the thing I was struggling with, uh, and I think a lot of people do is that when I first started, a lot of my material was about drinking, drugging, and partying and being a single mm-hmm. guy. Was, and then all of a sudden my life wasn't that anymore. And I didn't figure it out quickly enough to evolve my material. And so then my material felt insincere and you know that a crown can tell from a mile away, whether you're insincere or not. I mean, they just, That's the truth. they can smell it on you and, and you stop having the good reaction you were having to your jokes because your heart's not in it anymore because you don't yeah. really believe that. And uh, so I just started kind of fading off. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like I flipped a switch and said, I'm done with this. I just started kind of fading off and, uh, you know, life was getting busier. Anyways, 2013, uh, my mother died at the beginning of the year, right after like a four month illness and it was a really terrible thing and it uh, affected me in ways that I couldn't uh, <clears throat> I wasn't mentally acute enough to deal with at the time and right. that, was, no, that'll fuck you that up. was really that was the switch that's when I I didn't feel like being funny anymore I just I got up I went to work I came home I went to bed I got up I went to work I was on autopilot for a year or two I think it was just like mowing that yard you were talking about that kind of feels good a little bit at first. Yeah. You know what I mean? You start to, uh, you start to, oh, good, now I've got a routine, and my life is simple, and I can zone out, and I'm just going to listen to the radio, and I'm going to eat a Whataburger taquito, and I'm going to go into the office, and blah, 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 and yeah. you know, weeks turn into months. It goes fast. It takes dude. a while. It picks up yeah, speed, and it gets real comfortable. And uh, honestly, for me, I, I sort of always had this 
you know, this Rodney Dangerfield idea that, oh, one day in my 40s, you know, when I'm done being a carpenter, I'm going to go back and, you know, I'm going to take over comedy or some shit. You know what I mean? You know how you think in your head, you know? Like, well, yeah, but you, you become that old bull, yeah. right? The, you know, the old saying about the old bull and the young bull. You, you go from being the young bull to the old bull and you decide, you know what? I'm not going to run down there and dominate all the comedy anymore, but I'm going to go down there and really find a nice little spot for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's, a very, it's very much that thing. And uh, we were having so many friends die, you know, uh, a lot of our a lot of our friends a lot of our people from Houston comedy died who were I think you and me are pretty close in age uh, I'm 42 mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how old you are but uh 44 okay. yeah so a lot of our friends pretty close to our age group started dying off you know you remember that mm-hmm. it was it was like a wave of yeah. it for about 3 or 4 years there uh one of the ones that hit me really hard was Scott Kennedy I I just really yeah. loved the guy you know felt a closeness to the dude as a friend and then uh, Ralphie and me had, we weren't really in great contact anymore, but we had been friends and I, I had, I had screwed that up and, uh, but we had gotten past that and I still thought mm-hmm. very, highly, I had a very similar story. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I thought very highly of the guy and I just loved him dearly. When he passed, I had this sort of flip switch in my brain that was like, dude, you, you're going to run out of tomorrow's. You keep waiting on tomorrow you know so yeah yeah well we can all die suddenly you want to die suddenly on the way to the work at the job that no one cared about or you want to you know die in your house in uh, las vegas between sold out shows yeah that's what i sort of joke around me and my wife have joked around about it too is is ralphie's last little message was get back to open mic don't be a pussy you know yeah yeah no that's exactly right (laughs) and i ain't gonna lie john i was scared I was scared yeah. to come back and try because the scene has changed a bunch, you know, and going back to being a nobody, you know, I had a pretty good ride the first go around. Well, but, go, let's, let's step back a little bit more. Let's go back to, you know, after you, after the, and forgive me for asking about this, but I, you know, I think this is, this stuff is intriguing to me because it's so rare that anyone actually pulls off the comeback. You know what I mean? But even, even attempts to come back. Yeah. Most time they go away, they stay away. That's pretty much the, the nature of the thing. So how long did, did it go where it was day-to-day, you know, the grind until finally did you have a funny thought? What, what made you go, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go get back on stage. I'm a different person now. I have, I have the material that I can perform sincerely, right? Okay. Um, probably 2013 to late 2017, I would say. Um, and maybe a little before that because I had dropped off quite a bit. You know, I mean, I was right. doing – eight one-nighters a year or something you know it was terrible mm-hmm. so we can yeah. count that too but uh my my uh my litmus test actually was uh i, I told rachel i said i said man i'm gonna i want to write this I, I did my mother's eulogy and i closed with a big laugh because that's just <laughs> who i am you know what i mean like, i did i honestly god did not only that I did my mother's eulogy and my younger sister stole the first part of my eulogy and did it right in front of me at the funeral. So I had to quick think uh, quick on my feet oh, and rewrite damn. the whole first part of her eulogy <laughs> and then go up there and do the eulogy. And then of course, close it for check drop and get the money. You know what I yeah, mean? All right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for the rose drop. So I told, I told Rachel then I was like, that's when I'll know uh, my, my, my big, one of my big favorite comics is uh, Richard Pryor who was really excellent at turning tragedy into funny. And that's like my favorite style of comedy. I, I love mm-hmm. the art of misdirection and the bait and switch and mm-hmm. take the. And I said, I want to take, if I can make, there was this one day when my mother's dying. I said, if I can make this funny, then, then I'll know this is what I need to be doing and I, and I should be doing it. And so one of the first things I wrote after like five or six years was I wrote this story about how my mom, right before she died, was calling me Chad, and I found out that she really wanted to date me Chad, and I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, Chad probably went to fucking college. Chad had a lot better life than Jerry Wayne, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I was doing uh, network meetings for my business, local network meetings, and I decided I was doing a presentation that day in front of a bunch of people, stone cold sober at a golden corral, 
at mm-hmm. 11 o'clock in the morning. And I said, man, I'm going to see if I can make these people laugh with this story. And I told that story and blew the doors off the room. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> what am I doing? Oh, <laughs> that's good. You put some moderately good comedy up in a room that is not expecting to be uh, made laugh at all, and it pops. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Like, hey, like yeah. That's like the defensive driving class kind of uh, laugh. Oh, I left that Golden Corral ready to drive to Houston. Like, what the hell? There's got to be an open mic. What is it, 3 o'clock? There's got to be one. I got to go try That's this cool. in front of a crowd. <laughs> That's cool. So, now you just said it was you were nervous as hell. It was more You were actually more nervous probably going back than you were when you first showed up, when you were the cocky young man, right? Yeah, well, I was more nervous because I knew that I hadn't always been the kindest person. I've changed a lot in the time I've been gone. I wasn't always the kindest person. I wasn't always the most open-minded person, so... I knew there were certain people that had certain feelings towards me and that was perfectly justifiable. So I was nervous about going back and facing that and having to look in the eye my colleagues and friends who had all gone on to do better things while I had slowly disappeared. Uh, so that that's a hard thing to go back and put yourself in a place where you're you're waiting to go up at an open mic whenever you can go up when your friends are walking in and out of the door, bumping on the list, you know, yeah. people you started with people you started before, you know, people well, that I, used to open for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh no, trust me. Yeah. It's it, I've had, you know, tastes of that myself, you know, and, but I got to say, dude, uh, you know, you kind of showed up and started in Houston after I had already left for L.A. So we had a lot of tangential friends and sort of saw each other on those, you know, three or four weeks a year or so that I'd come back through town. Yeah. Right. So you and I weren't like we were like really good acquaintances, mildly yeah, yeah. friends, just because we hardly ever saw each other. Yeah. The um, most time I had spent with you is we had done a Toys for Tot show for the Marines one Christmas. Yeah. And that well, was the count- most stage time I had spent like working with you at that point. That's true. I, I remember that. I, as you say, I believe we had a prayer meeting at Sean Rouse's uh, condo yeah, yeah. one time. But that's a that's, that's a, a different thing. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's the next time you come on the podcast. So oh we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that one. That, that was, was funny. funny. But like, okay, so so I got to work with you. I think I've I've done shows with you since you've come back in the last couple of years. Maybe three or four times at yeah, the most. About that, right? We did, we did a show at uh, I think it was called Shamrocks up in the Humble, yeah, in Humble. Juan Villarreal. Yeah, that was a trippy one. But you know what? I'll say this, dude. I'm uh, uh, completely impressed with the attitude that you've come back with, and that the that, that you focused on stage. You seem like you've taken a lot of Huggins' advice on working on the writing and just on the jokes and and. And dude, there's there is an honesty, there is a sincerity that's coming off in your material, and and you should feel really really good about that, and and continue in that vein. You know what I'm saying, man? I'm like I'm ha- I'm happy for you because I, I I like the I like the result. I like what's come out of it. Thank you, man. That's very kind. Uh, it was uh, one of my uh, favorite pieces of advice I ever got from a comic was, uh, and you know the guy too. His name's Paul Odo. And uh, we had just done a show at Rudyard's and we were hanging out on the porch after the show. And, and Paul said, he goes, man, if you ever get to a point where you can be who you are out here on the patio on stage, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay. And it's kind of stuck with me. So when I came back, that was the thing. I, I did not grow up in the Huggins, um, I had a very different perspective of Huggins than a lot of you guys did because I missed out when I first came to the Laugh Stop, started the Laugh Stop. Uh, Andy was doing uh, some of the telemarketing mm-hmm. and he left and I think he was kind of irritated with comedy. I know he did a lot of stuff with Don Learned, but I didn't see much yeah. at the Laugh Stop. I think him and Pete had bumped heads as is said to have happened quite a bit with right. Pete Prelly. Uh, <laughs> that is two whole other episodes. Yeah, there's a whole lot of head there. bumping there. I try not to drill too deep into that double P world because that's a yeah. It, that's it a, was that's a, a apple. It was an era, a very short, chaotic era. But that's the one I came up in, and so I didn't see you. Uh, Andy used to come in about once a year, and he would feature for Brett Butler when she was in town. She would always request him. And so that's the only time I got to work with him like one time and he was so damn funny and he was a really nice guy, but he didn't, he didn't really have a lot to say to me off the stage. And I was pretty foul mouth yeah. back then. I think he probably didn't really care much for that. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, actually Tommy Drake that got me, uh, it pushed me towards more disciplined writing 
that uh and i think a lot of it is the andy huggins style of writing it down on index cards and chopping the words out and cutting it down and so i struggle with that i'm a storyteller and i ramble i'm a hillbilly it's our tradition yeah Uh, it it is you're, you're doing a good job of it brother (laughs) <laughs> I like big pontifications and, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that shit, too. It's nothing, like, nothing like that smug feeling you get after you think you nailed a quip just right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's got to be like like watching a home run after you hit it. Like when you yeah. just watch it. Yeah, I got that. Ooh, well, and I watch that you. analogy. I, w- I watch you. I find that we have a lot of similarity in our acts i think because we come from a lot of the same places as far as our upbringing and uh you know both kind of middle-aged white guys with families trying to just live our best life it, some of that bleeds across I, I see a lot of similarities between us but i know you're really yeah, good well, well, too you can build that story up and then when you punch that story but that's my favorite feeling is the part of when you build the story up and the crowd doesn't uh-huh. have a clue where you're about to fucking go with it. That pregnant pause right before you put it on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that feeling of control. Like I've got this. I'm about to fuck y'all up. Here we yeah. go. Oh uh, yeah. There's like a little, when you're going to, and I know we're talking about the insides of comedy and the, how you write a joke and all that shit. And this sometimes feels indulgent. Like I try to avoid talking about it. This is the secret sauce, man. You know what I mean? This yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> but like, like when I'm in a, a longer bit story that I know has that, that big payoff at the end and sort of a cascading crash of, of uh, seven or eight funny fun, once it gets down to it. So like, I know that there's a couple of fence posts along the way that if they laugh at it, that lets me know they got the hook in their mouth. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, they, they bought into the, the early part. So they're going to remember that when I, when I twist it at the end. And if right. they laugh, if they laugh at those fence posts and that's kind of how I know, and I'm hitting the hitting the marks that the, that's going to pay off good. And the other opposite is true. If they don't pick those up, I know I'm in trouble. Yeah, I start getting oh, a little I better nervous. Ham it up a little bit. <laughs> there is nothing worse than you know. I'm sure you've heard the advice the same as I have. Uh, in fact, I think it was Tommy Drake that told me this as well. Don't matter if it's six people or a hundred people, you give them the same show. You know, what I mean, you give them the energy. And there's nothing worse than when you're in front of a small very poor energy crowd that maybe you're not clicking with and you do that big buildup and you drop it and it just falls flat and it's like it's like getting hit by a truck for a minute like what yeah what the hell just happened <laughs> i feel it in, i feel it in my chest i feel it like something pops like I yeah. is the microphone broke did they not hear me should i repeat it <laughs> oh and when you and when you have it set up as the closer so you're oh, like God. all right well, uh, that's it for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's when you time. immediately go into that rambling shit about taking care of the bar staff. And... <laughs> oh, yeah. What's the, uh, oh, this is always a good sign of comic death. Uh, let's get that MC back up here. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever saying that, you're fucked. I was telling uh, Jerry Wayne Longmire joining me currently on the uh, the After Later podcast. Hey, Jerry, let's take a quick little uh, break for a second because I know you got some some – well, let's talk about the quarantine. Let's talk about the world that we live in. It was great getting to kind of catch up on how you got here. Yeah. Uh, but, but let's talk about what we're doing now because life's changed for everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We're all stuck in the house and who knows what's going to happen next. So I want to talk to you about, about how you're getting by, what you're doing, and, and kind of fall back on your skill set. But I want to hear this idea you got for your own uh, social media project. Sound good to you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, excellent. We'll be right back with more Jerry Wayne. Longmire? Maybe. (laughs) Welcome back to the After Later Podcast. I'm your host, John Wessling. Joining me today is the very funny Jerry Wayne Longmire, who, if you had to, if you're a casting director and you were looking for a certain kind of character, you'd probably wind up seeing me and Jerry Wayne in your... uh, in your waiting room. That's kind of, <laughs> we would be in a lot of the same police lineups oh, yeah. here. That's yeah, kind of yeah. what I'm saying. Statistically, we're almost identical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Demographically, we're in, in you can't tell us apart. Yeah. No, no. You know what I'm we're saying? We're getting preached to by the same people. No doubt. Jerry, Jerry Wayne Longmire, you can follow him on Instagram. It's Jerry Wayne Live. And on Twitter, it's at Comedy Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you've been a guest on my my podcast now. I've seen you on other audio, uh, <laughs> or I'm sorry, uh, like video streams and things like that. 
it's it's federal law. You're an out of work comedian. I assume that you're going to be starting up some sort of live streaming, some sort of online presence project, right? You have. To. Yeah, man. I've actually. Uh, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little outdated on the technology, but I have been wanting to do something, and I've been kicking. I've seen so many people like rush to throw stuff out there that I don't think's really hitting, and then a lot of stuff is, and. Uh, so I've been kind of holding back. Like I really want something that's just kind of, I don't want to do the Facebook live thing where I meander yeah. and wait for people to start following me. And that, that feels, uh, needy. I don't, yeah, I don't it is. you know, I don't want to do it. Uh, it, it's just not interested in me and I'm not interested, you know, when this thing is over, I'm hoping to return to performing and I don't want to crap on the brand that I'm trying to build these days. So, uh, but one of the things that I've been toying with, I was toying with the idea for a while, putting it down in a book form, but there's really not enough content for that. But because I was fortunate enough to work with so many great comics and headliners, especially those years of the laugh stop where I was like the house MC, um, I have this collection. I have a pretty good memory of all these moments of advice that comics gave me some great, some not so great, some life changing, some laughable you know mm -hmm. but i have all these moments with all these really cool comics that uh i think it should be shared so what i what i think my project is going to be is just going to be me doing a video set on a daily basis telling one piece of advice that a comic gave me and explain sort of kind of giving the backstory you know what we were doing when the advice came right. out and this and that some of it's really funny and it's too much kind to of type like, out in word format but it would be funny in a video format i think so i think I'm i like that's a smart idea to do it like, where it's more where it's more uh uh process it's more written it's more produced like it's kind of finished yeah I, i've you got put, a little you put it out as opposed to hey let me let me look at the comments and go oh hey hi beth yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I just want it, I want it to be kind of brief. Uh, I, I have found my foray into social media, and as I've learned about it, and I've had some good coaches, including my wife and Sarah Talamash, helping me learn the, the new ways um, that brief is best. Brief, produced, and concise works really well. Well, that's our time. Thanks for coming by, Jerry Wayne. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on the podcast. <laughs> but you know what I mean. If you're looking for a quick, no, pitch. no, hey, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Yeah, you know uh, I mean? that long. Mungle's stuff, doing a great thing. With his two minute warning. That's that's span. funny as hell to me, man. Uh, and so that's what I want. I want like a little two or three minute video sketch every day. That's me telling about one of these great pieces of advice from one of these great comics I got the opportunity to work with. And uh, and then you, you got know, a name for be it like yet? A, because I'm thinking. It's like I a six-week name, name drop. Ah, we're doing that thing where we're talking yep. over each other again. <laughs> God damn it. All right. So what do we do? We stop. We breathe. We look down. Meditate. So tell me about uh, your your project, Jerry Wayne. Have you come up with a name for it yet? I'm not, man. That's, that's I'm, I'm sort of battling that right now. I, uh, I'm trying to yeah. figure I've got a couple of ideas bounce around, but I don't really have a good name for it yet. I'm sure I'll decide Things the name I learned about a minute before I start producing it. Things I learned on cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> that was all. There's actually a great piece of advice in there. Is cocaine wisdom. You, you, you know what? Honest to God, man, you want to hear a funny one? I'll give you a little sneak peek. Uh, all right. Yes, please. Uh, one of the reasons I quit cocaine was uh, I had become completely unaware of what kind of damage I was doing to myself. And I was hanging out with Slade Ham one night at Comedy Texas <laughs> in Beaumont. And uh, we had just done a show. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Ralphie and Slade, and mm -hmm. they were talking about going to the casino. And they said, "You want to go mm -hmm. to the casino, Jerry Wayne?" And I said, "No, man, I don't. I don't really like to gamble." And Slade laughed, and he goes, "You're 250 pounds, and you do cocaine every night. What do you mean you don't like to gamble?" <laughs> <laughs> With money, I mean. and, and that crap <laughs> stuck in my head. You know what I mean? Like it, I, it kept repeating itself in my head, and I was like, "Man, he's right." I'm going to fuck around and die. <laughs> so, wait, did that make you stop doing cocaine or make you start gambling? It, no, yeah. It put me on the path to resistance. You know what I mean? Oh, good. 
Good, good. Uh, that's the only time I've ever heard any example of Slade Ham being yeah. a sobering influence. And he was still being caustic and funny, but it just happened. To, yeah. It happened to hit me with the right <laughs> chord, you know, in his way. Um, it's, like a, it's like a knife stab that, like, uh, cuts out a tumor. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, well, thank you. You were trying to kill me, but that actually helps out a lot. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, Jerry, I, I, there's another thing I'm, I'm interested in, a kind of a theme I'm pursuing in the After Later uh, interviews uh, world here. It's kind of um, our culture is kind of going through a bit of a regression now, right? Really? People have people are kind of having to go back to uh, we're we're back to the to the Bronze Age, my friend. Yeah, people are gonna have to go back to work. They're gonna have to use their hands. They're gonna have to. It's not not everyone can be an insurance analyst anymore. Some people are gonna have to grow food. Some people are gonna have to do some plumbing. So there's a bit of a return to that. I got my my best friend is the 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 chancellor at TSTI, right, the Texas State Technical Institute, and or TSTC, I guess it technically is now college, but. It's such a massive move for like trade school and re-education going on in the world. And you're a man who's had these jobs. You're a man who's been good with his hands. He knows how to how to work for a living. Yeah. Right. What if, if the shit hit all the way to the fan? If this got to be a Walking Dead scenario, well, what would you be able to do? There's no such thing as entertainment. It's not even a thing. You might be the clever guy around the campfire at the end of the day. But what would you do? What, what if you show up at the gates of the compound? What job are you offering to the to the to the benevolent warlord? Uh, my my main trade has always been carpentry. Uh, that's you know oh, that's that's super important in the future dystopia. I, I'm a pretty strong carpenter. I'm not a master carpenter by any means, but I have interned with some really good cabinet workers, and I've taught myself a lot of skills over the years and. I grew up in one of those households where, and, and I think you and me have similar fathers in that a lot of the stuff. So I've had a construction company for years off and on. And a lot of the things I get. Well, hold on. Time out. Time out, Jerry Wayne. Jerry Wayne, before you go into it here, I noticed you said cabinetry. Okay. I'm not sure in a warlord driven autocracy, you know, horrible future, if cabinetry is going to be real high on the list. Can you use those skills for like, you know, like building shelter, perhaps weaponry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can where, you manufacture you a trebuchet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do a trebuchet? I, I can build a trebuchet. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to cut no, you no, off no, there. No. You were talking about but your, you your interning with... to store the food and the ammo, you know. So I'm okay. hoping, I'm yeah, hoping yeah, to show up at like Brother Bart's compound be... with a set of hammers and, like... <laughs> <laughs> I brought my all... <laughs> let, me, let me help you build storage, my friend. <laughs> Yeah. In exchange for nonviolent death, uh, can I go ahead and perhaps build you a a, a meat locker? <laughs> All right. So carpentry, carpentry is your your go to move, yeah. right? Like if there was no such thing as comedy, you get back to working with wood. Yeah, most likely. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of steel manufacturing. I've done a lot of fabrication work, and I can weld. And uh, I'm a pretty excellent plumber. And you know, and like I said, I, I grew up. How how are you with automotive? I'm pretty excellent. Uh, my granddad, pretty excellent, had a junkyard, <laughs> and I grew up in you know sort of in the junkyard. That's where I played as a kid, and I was pulling parts and working on cars at a very young age, and you know have some pretty good right. diagnostic See, that, skills. This, that's very that this is enthralling to me. I've been thinking a lot about that because uh, I can do like basic shit, right? Yeah. Very basic, and I have no tools really to do anything more than that. Yeah, yeah. But I thought about this because, first off, most people can't even drive stick, much less know what's going on under the hood of a car. Oh yeah, man, it's a it's right? a different world than the one we grew up in for sure. I, I absolutely, but like, it's almost learning how to be proficient, or as you said, pretty excellent when it comes to automotive repair. Uh, there's no way to start unless you started when you were a kid. Right. You can't as a 40 some odd year old man who's been a semi urban computer tapper for their adult life. How am I all of a sudden there's no way to really start learning how to do anything. The, the pinnacle of your of, of any sort of training you can be able to do at this late in the stage is I changed my own oil once. <laughs> yeah. And it, right? yeah. And, and automo you know, automotive science is a lot different than it was when, you know, I was growing up and learning it, too. There's plenty I would have to 
that's one of those things you've you would have had to keep up with all these years and keep up because in the last yeah, right. in the last 30 years automotive technology has made jumps forward that are just straight out of sci-fi you know we got cars talking to well, us driving yeah. themselves you know Dude, look at like uh look at the uh, you open up the hood on a 1987 f-150 and then you open the hood on a brand new one that rolls off the lot today it's gonna look like a star or star trek vehicle yeah and it's actually they purposefully engineer things in a way to keep you from being able to work on it because they want you to take it to the shop the guy who has a special tool that can fix the one thing that's broken the one thing that they've designed to keep breaking right so it's not like the old cars are like a working on a john deere tractor which is Essentially, the uh, if you're comparing a, a a a piece of equipment to like a life form, that is as simple as an amoeba. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, you, you know, what I'm saying you nailed this, it. this hose there, that wire there. Yeah, you nailed it. You got an '87 Ford F-150. There's a whole lot you can do with a, you know, a, a piece of two by four, a cheater bar, and a ratchet set. You, you yeah. can rebuild. You half can reach the truck. everything. You can get your hands in. You there. know, there's no specialty tooling, no specialty diagnostic equipment, or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know, and but and I, you know, and vice versa. I hear a lot of older people say, you know, I miss when the cars were simple. I miss this and that. And I don't. I don't miss getting up in the morning and trying to start a flooded car and pulling on the choke and hoping the battery don't die to get the damn thing going. <laughs> I don't miss that. You know, <laughs> so you'd rather have a modern car that yeah. if something goes wrong, you're use it's you're you know you can't fix or touch anything. So you, you'll trade the convenience for the disposability of yeah, it. Yeah, I've I've got a GMC Yukon that I'm gonna drive till the wheels fall off of it, and I've had to look under the hood of it twice in about six years. You know. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny when you're when you're a comic and you're broke, and you know people say that they use that as a phrase all the time. Oh, drive it till the wheels fall yeah. off. When you're a comic and you're broke, you're like, oh, no, the wheels already fell off. And then I had to put them back <laughs> yes. on. I had to get new wheels. So, There's way worse things we're, we're that happen things before past. the wheels fall off. There's timing belts <laughs> and transmissions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drive this till the head gasket blows and warps the yeah. head. And then I'm going to make the split-second decision whether to leave it on the side of the road in Farmville, Mississippi, <laughs> and just go try to buy something else, you know. Well, that's what you do. That's how you go from cash car to cash car. Yeah. Is you, you know, when you're doing gigs and you're driving, it's like wherever this, you just walk to the nearest, uh, you know, tree color lot and get yourself a new one. I, I hit the trifecta on that one time. I had this old Chevy, uh, I don't know, Chevy what the hell ever, four-door uh God dang, I can't remember what that damn car was. It was just a four-door, plain Chevy car. Had mm-hmm. a V6 in it. And mm-hmm. uh, we called it, we jokingly called it the Cessna because it had a blown-out muffler and you could hear it coming from a mile down the road. <laughs> and I was coming down 45 South one night on my way home. And uh, I was coming from an out-of-town gig and I was coming down 45 South. And I was almost, I was like four miles from the house when it punched a rod through the side of the block it blew the engine Ooh. just gave it up i mean it was full of nascar all up the windshield yeah <laughs> you you're know, basically smoke putting everywhere. off smoke like the like uh, like the memphis bell yeah yeah man and so i i pulled over into the ditch and i got out of the car and this is uh you know i started i walked to a store so i could call my brother to come get me and he came and got me, and I had found this other car I'd already been thinking about buying. So I was like, yeah, man. I said, let's go call that other dude, tell him I'm going to buy the other car. And the guy said, yeah, but you're going to need a battery. And I was like, well, hell, the Cessna had a good battery. Let's go back up to 45 get the battery off the Cessna. You know what I mean? Wow. And uh, so we drive back up to 45. When we get up to 45 to where the Cessna was, it's now like 120 yards away in the ditch sideways. And the whole back of it's curled up like a sardine can. And there's an 18-wheeler that the whole front of it's torn up on. Wow. So this dude hit it. And uh, I ended up getting the insurance money out of the deal. <laughs> you, you, you hurry up and got in the passenger seat. Like, oh. oh. <laughs> well, no, 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 no stuff or anything like that. But, you know, as far as, like, the, the coverage of my car. And right. that was before they got so scientific about loss back then. And me and my brother often joked about, that car showing up in the junkyard and they're like, what happened? Oh, I got in a rear end wreck. Holy crap, man. He hit it so hard. It blew the motor. You know? yeah. <laughs> it ripped the battery clear out of the damn thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh the, 
Looks like the ashtray went everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, that's funny. That's funny. I've had, uh, dude, I've had cars basically get totaled because they got towed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had this old 84, it was 84 Ford Ranger, like the little tiny one. And it had already been pre-wrecked when I bought it for like $300, right? And it gets towed up behind the little Woodrow's one night. And I was just, it had zero of any of my personal effects. And it actually had an old pager stuck in there. And it was more to get out than it was worth or that I had. I just basically, well, congratulations, man. City of Houston doesn't mess around. It was City of Houston takes a car. Uh, it can sometimes be their car. Either by tow truck or by flood, Houston eats eats cars. Oh yeah, It'll which is crazy. My... There's another thing here that that uh, that you've done that is uh, very intriguing to me. You're one of the few people I know who moved back into the city. It's like you you said you had a cracker flight earlier to get the hell out of Houston, but you moved back into the neighborhood. You moved back into into the Montrose. Yeah, man, it's been great. I miss What's it. the what led to that? How how'd you go from returning to your redneck nature? Um, to then honestly, going back to your bohemian twenties. Uh, you know, R- Rachel lived in Midtown when I met her and everything. She was the GM of the Laugh Stop at the time when I met her, and uh, so she she liked living down here in this area. And both her parents were originally well, her dad was originally from this area. Right. And I had so you're back in the neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've lived, I, I went to high school in A Leaf and I've lived in Pasadena. I've, I've lived in every little corner of Houston, every little nook. I've lived on the north side, Acres Homes, all over the place. And um, as, as we moved out and got out, you know, there's this sort of this desire for security when you start having a family and you start thinking, oh, I just need to get farther out. It'd be safer. And guess what? It doesn't get any safer. You, you're just dealing with different kind of criminals. You know, it just, it, it, the same problems out there exist as exist right here in the city, except in mm-hmm. the city, you have the self-awareness to keep your head on a swivel looking for it because you know, it's there. And, um, we came down for a wedding one night, uh, for one of her family members and we decided to stay the night and we went and we hung out at Darwin's over on wall mm-hmm. with Ryan Thalburn, who was great friend of ours and uh we sat there talking to him and then we really like the next day we were like we went to eat at one of our favorite we went to eat at barney's over on west yeah. gray and um we really got to reminiscing about all our nostalgia our, you know our whole love story and all that stuff happened right here in midtown in this area so mm-hmm. we started reminiscing about all that and like man did we did we make a mistake leaving did i mean maybe it wasn't a mistake at the time maybe it was the right move at the time but for whatever reason, it felt like it was time to come back home. And I, I right. of course, want to pursue comedy. Kind of close the loop. Yeah. And there's more opportunities for my children here. They're seven and nine. And we, uh, we're homeschoolers. Or, well, not homeschoolers. It's actually called unschooling. And uh, oh. we've done that since birth with both of them. And uh, there's a lot more opportunities for them down here. And, you know, uh, up there, we were kind of looked at as kind of the weird people you know that didn't really fit in too well and uh it was miraculous we started rachel was really the driving force for it she she once she was really on board with the idea of coming back she really started organizing our life in a way that we could make this big change and we ended up selling our house and selling a lot of our stuff and just coming back you know and she found this great place that we're living now and I told her, she said, would you be okay with an apartment? And I said, oh, I don't ever want a yard again in life. I, <laughs> I absolutely, I don't want none of that crap. I, I just want to, my apartment's great. If a light bulb goes out, a little dude shows up with a ladder and changes it. It's amazing. That is pretty cool, man. I like it. I like that, I like that when you lived out, when you moved back out into the country, you were too city even for the other rednecks. Yeah, man. You know what it right. is? It's like, you're like, oh, I'm going to go back to my people. And then you get back and like, ah, I don't really like my people that much. You know? Yeah. I changed <laughs> and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very, uh, it, uh, we used to kind of joke. So I sold jobs and I did foundation work. And uh, I have this accent and I have this look that sort of lends me to being um, 
approached by people in a manner where they feel comfortable saying things to me that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying in this day and age, uh, especially some of our more rural folk. Of course. They, you know, I, I fit in with them enough that they, they let their guard down. And so we used to Ooh, joke about like, how many horrible racist things I would hear on a daily basis. <laughs> come back yeah. like, I hate it here. I don't want to be around these people. <laughs> or, you know, I hate it. That's how you can tell, like, with, you know, how do you put this? When they don't even look side to side before they say the racist joke. Yeah. When they just, they proudly deliver it down the pipe. Like, they have no... They're not uncomfortable at all with the idea. They, they're pretty sure everyone in line at Ace Hardware is going to appreciate this joke about Obama. Oh, my you know? God, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God, yes. Uh, it, just on the, on the daily, like you're, you're selling a job and you're trying to get this guy to give you this deposit check, start this job, and then he's, he's going to slap you on the back and give you one of these. And you're like, ah, I kind of want to set you on fire now. But I yeah. really need this check. Got to pay the mortgage. Dude, when they when they act like you're with them, yeah, you're like, oh no, oh. Uh, and then and then you're in that horrible realistic situation where your your income depends on that. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, that's a good one. You nailed it. Yeah, it, well, even even with comedy, I always get the old redneck guy who comes up to me at the after the after the show, and he's like, "Hey, I got a joke for you." I'm like, "Oh God, here we go," and then he'll proceed to tell me the most horrific, offensive. Thing I've ever heard in my life, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, you can use that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. You know, it's worse than don't think I can. Up, when, yeah, when someone comes up and tells you the most horrible, just offensive, dark, racist joke in the world, what's worse than that is when you've already heard it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, bro. you're like, oh, he's not only is he saying something horrible, he's taking so long to get to it. Well, you know? <laughs> here, here, here's the sneak peek. Here's the sneak peek. I grew up in a junkyard in Kilgore, Texas in the 80s, raised by hillbillies. I've heard them. I've heard all yeah. of them. <laughs> I At know, that point, you're like, I, I know wrote them that all. one. From the minute you start the buildup, I know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. These two black fellas walk up behind a dog. Yeah. Okay. No, I know that one. I can't. I don't want to. You yeah. Know it's it's always. it's They start. I'm like, I know this joke. I know. I know. I don't. God, no. Please, God, don't say this out loud. Well, hey, good thing is, is that's uh, not a problem right now. Well, you know what? It is a problem because they're still going outside. They're yeah, like, yeah. It's all a hoax. I'm going down to the feed store. Oh, it's crazy. I, I, uh, oh my God. I, I've gotten so many calls from people because I do carpentry stuff and everything on the side. And like, hey man, so while we're down with this, uh, this nonsense going around, uh, you, you think we won't come up and build a staircase in my house? Like, hell. Hell no. No. <laughs> hey, man, you no. want to come get killed at my house? <laughs> you want to come make a couple extra bucks? I cut you a deal on it. I'll buy a case of beer. Like, no. Man, and how often are you going to see it where that, whoever's, the people that put that kind of shit out, uh, two weeks from now, they're like, uh, we've put up a GoFundMe for their funeral. Uh, yeah. Turns out that feller he brought in to do the staircase was uh, teaming with a disease. <laughs> Screwed around and got the COVID. That's yeah. right. A what funeral is probably going to be in uh, November. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, one, of my, one of my long-term customers, she's like 93 years old, and she's, she's a delight, and I, I absolutely love talking with her. She's razor sharp. But she, she literally called me like a day ago, and she goes, uh, she said, uh, hey, you know, you put this sink in for me about five years ago, and one of my rent houses and uh, it's leaking a little bit. And I was wondering if you want to come up and take a look at it. I said, well, yeah, you know, as soon as this is all over, I'll come there and take a look at it and see if I can't help you out with it. It's probably just bushing or something like that. And uh, she said, well, that's not considered essential. Seems like you can come right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. Hell no, that ain't essential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you to stop asking that shit is, oh, sure, I'd love to. That's going to cost $3,000. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to cover my insurance. I got to get PPE. I got to come to your fucking, I'm sure you're going all over the place. Yeah. Well, so yeah, she told me, it, she goes, she goes, I could probably get one of my handymen to come by and look at it. Like, you're 93. You don't need anybody coming by. Will you, right. for the love of God, Betty, go in your house and wait till this is over. <laughs> Dude, for real. Well, brother, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me today. This has been a uh, 
this is like a nice real conversation. That's what I like doing on this show. Yeah, this is fun, man. I enjoyed listening to you and Savage. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you, dude. Yeah, Chuck's the machine, isn't he? Oh, Chuck he's is. one of my favorite people ever. A quick story about Chuck, and it's one of the funniest things to me. But uh, there was a time back in the old days when I was booking. Prelly wanted this on Sundays. He wanted this Southern Slam comedy jam, and he wanted Southern comics. And the problem was, outside of me and Cowboy Bill, there wasn't anybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> in Texas, there wasn't a whole dearth of them, you know, going on. There's Todd Justice, a couple guys. And mm-hmm. uh, so I had arranged this headliner to come, and the guy flaked out at me last minute, couldn't come. And Chuck Savage was standing backstage. He goes, well, hey, I got this character I could do, and I'll be your headliner. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, I got this character, man. He said, just, just, just trust me. Just let me do it. And I was like, well, you know, I don't have any other option, Chuck. Go for it. Yeah, right. And Chuck comes on stage with his upright bass and a black cowboy hat and introduces himself as Buck Savage. <laughs> it does one of the best blue collar comedy acts I've ever seen in my life to this day. I mean, <laughs> like, just blew the doors off the place for like 20 or 30 minutes, you know, and, uh, tipped his hat, walked off stage. It's still one of my favorite moments in comedy. Is it just, he just put on this character, Buck Savage, whew, and he got up there and just knocked it out of the park. I was like, holy hell, man. Maybe I don't even need to look right. for no rural comics. I just need characters. God damn, why didn't he stick to that? He should have just went, oh, turns out this is this is hitting. <laughs> he could have took the world over by storm. He could have been the next I guy. I know. Instead, he went back to the rockabilly angle. Yeah. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> That's like one of the rare times in comedy where like, stop being yourself. Yes, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Put on the black hat, get up there and, and say fixing too. Do the whole fixing too. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Wayne, you are uh, awesome, brother. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, great story about Chuck. Just great, you know, catching up and getting to hear some of the, you know, the gaps in the in the work history, as it were. Yes, man. sir. And I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're back, brother, and keep trucking and hanging there with the family. And uh, will you come back on in a couple of weeks and check in, see if you've uh, gone full rogue or Ronin yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks again to Jerry Wayne Longmire for being my guest today. And, you know, he keeps shortening it to Jerry Wayne and he's not embracing the Longmire, but you got to dude. That's a cool name. That's like a, that's like a Western name. It's uh, uh they got that whole detective show from Wyoming or whatnot. That's out there, brother. Embrace the Longmire-ness. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you can uh, follow Jerry Wayne on uh, Instagram. It's uh, Jerry Wayne live on Twitter. He's at comedy Jerry. And look for his, uh, his his weird video series on things he learned on cocaine. <laughs> well, uh, once again, appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me, because I'm always looking for new guests and interesting people. And uh, I really love that last interview we just did. Thought that was, we got down to what was real there for a while. That was nice. Uh, but yeah, if you want to be on, hit me up on Twitter. That's at John Wessling, J-O-H-N-W-E-S-S-L-I-N-G. Or the show's Twitter. That's at after later, A-F-T-E-R-L, number eight, letter E-R. Um, the show's Facebook fan page is After Later Podcast. And if you'd like to follow my comedy uh, fan page, it's John Wessling Official. Uh, thanks to Scott Henry. He's the only, I mean, <clears throat> he's the first person to uh, to become one of my supporters here on uh, Anchor. Uh, if you go to the Anchor page for the website, there's a little spot where you can contribute. You can throw some money in the kitty, put some di- put some dough in the tip jar, a little, little tip on the hip, put a smile on the lip. Uh, but Scott Henry, a, a very funny comic guy I worked with on on cruise ships um, out there in Kentucky. He threw me $5 a month, $5 a month, which is going to go directly to the expenses of the podcast, uh, which will basically be the Xbox live monthly bill that I have to pay. So the kids can play the uh, podcast or play the, uh, play the Xbox, play the Furf Nerf, right? You can play some Furf Nerf. Yeah. I'm sitting here surrounded by my middle two uh, daughters. Uh, Keaton's already taken off. Hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Is Keaton around? Yeah. You girls can talk. It's okay. It's okay. Well, it's a family business now. Um, uh, this is uh, John Wessling's comedy and you know, John Wessling and Daughters comedy. You heard from uh, BB, my first grader, my seven-year-old at the beginning of the episode. She did a stellar job uh, introducing Jerry Wayne Longmire to the people. Uh, but now to, um, to to read a liner is um, uh, my my uh, second daughter, my fourth grader, my nine about to turn ten-year-old. About to turn ten, isn't that cool? Yeah. All right. So this is uh, this is my uh, here. Get a little closer. 
a little closer. Uh, this is Carlin. Everyone say hi. Say hi, Carlin. Hi, Carlin. Say, say, speak louder. Hi, Carlin. Okay. All right. Are you, are you ready? Are you ready to read the liner? Yeah. Okay. You got to, you got to speak. You got to use your big girl voice. Okay. okay. All right. You're, you you're want... in the, ah, wait till I tell you to say it. Okay. You have to wait till I say it. All right. I'll count you in. I'll do a little three, two, one, and then point, and then, okay. and I want you to, you got to say it into the microphone. Okay. As best as you can. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. If you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you already messed it up. Let's start oh, over. God. Let's start over. Okay, you're doing good. No, don't worry. Don't, no stress. Okay, three, two, one. If you want me to la- laugh and you want me to eat Wonder Burger <laughs> by my dad's co- comedy al- al- album. Hey, wait, 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 you're, you're rushing it a little bit. You're doing good. Hey, 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 look, look. Okay, so have fun with it. I want you to breathe. Take a big deep breath. I already told I already told everybody on the podcast that you're the one who who laughs at dirty jokes and says all the bad words. Okay, so don't act like a babe in the woods, like they don't know who you are, Carlin. Okay, so just be yourself, be loud, be proud, have fun, smile on your face, and read the liner. Ready? Okay. Three, two, one. If you want me to laugh and you want me to eat Water Burger by my dad's comedy album Warm Up First, now available on 800 pound real records or stream it on spotify itunes pandora or and pretty much everywhere on the internet please do do it because i am so hungry and we do not have to wait that's right we have that's to. right thank you very much she forgot today what did she forget she forgot the word today oh yeah well that's fine that's fine she you know she took creative license she didn't feel like it needed the word today sometimes performers have a problem with the writer and they do it their way that's fine so you know you're a star like Carly, you get to do that. So, on behalf of BB Wesling and on behalf of Carly Wesling, the two that uh, actually helped me today, appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening to the After Later podcast. I'm John Wesling. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Girl, say bye. Bye. bye.